Hello, listeners. Um, so we got some news uh, regarding the uh, future of this podcast. Um, please listen to the very end for that announcement. Thank you. Hello, I'm Andrew Gentile. And I'm Ariana. And you're listening to Behind the Flicks. This show is all about me sharing as many facts as I know about filmmaking and directors and behind-the-scenes info about movies and whatnot to Ariana. And you'll join us for the ride. So, Ariana, can we get a review of this episode's film? Ooh, this episode's film is called The Third Man, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but I can say that of all the movies we've watched, we tend to watch, you know, a lot of older films. So I'm always a little scared to go into it because before you, I never watched older films. Never saw anything probably before the 70s or 80s. Before so, me? Yeah. Hmm. Before you. And I was always scared. I'm like, oh no, I might be bored out of my mind. And this one is pretty, it's pretty old. When was this released? 1949 yeah so i was a little uh worried but um this was like the film that cemented that i never need worry about any of the old movies you show me it's black and white it's a mystery and it, it keeps you on your toes the whole time it's a such a good film and the acting is perfect awesome and the big question ariana yes you know it's coming Oh, the official rating? Oh, I would give this one e an A easy. Hell yeah. Easy A, this one. It was a lot of fun to watch. And it's a, like I said, yes. it surprised me that it, you know, being as dated as it is, it is How just as relevant and entertaining. <laughs> it's, it's not dated. It's, um, it's old. I mean, it's like 70 years old now. Well, dated means like uh, there's stuff that doesn't make sense that because of its age or like it, oh. it would be like it would be like if you had like a Game Boy in like a movie from the 90s oh. that would date it. Oh, OK, well, I mean, it definitely you can tell that it's from a different era of time. There's a lot <sighs> of tells, right. but the story itself isn't dated. The story is timeless. <laughs> yes, agreed. I would love it if you you uh, gave our peoples a bit of a synopsis of the movie. Ooh. Let them know what it's about. I have to do it this time. Okay. I would have. Um, I would greatly appreciate it. All right. All right. Because I right. will ruin it. Okay. The premise of the third man is that Holly Martin's, played by Joseph Cotton, goes to Vienna after being invited there for a job by his friend, Harry Lime. However, Harry Lime is dead by dun, the time dun, he arrives. Dun. And Holly Martins uh, sets out to find the killer. Or is there a killer? Who knows? You spend a good chunk of time figuring it out. And do you have any other thoughts before we dive in, Ariana? No, I'm excited. I want to dive in. I'm, by the way, I'm looking here. You're not just staring off in space waiting for this to be over? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I Just for the listeners at home, I'm looking at my uh, at my screen to see 
the script and my screen's kind of big so it looks like i'm staring off into space oh so now you're just rubbing it in. but i'm not <laughs> all right that you have a big screen anyways go ahead i'm ready after adapting the basement room by graham green into 1948's the fallen idol director carol reed once again went about adapting the author's work for the silver screen the result a film that the British Film Institute voted as the greatest British film of the 20th century. Wow. So wait, who... Can, say again, who voted this? The British Film Institute. British Film Institute. Badass. Ariana? Yes. Let's talk about some stories surrounding the third man. Yes, please. In my opinion, there are three stark differences that separate Graham Greene's original novella from the final film. Uh, as a side note, Greene also wrote his own screenplay adaptation. Okay. The first point is that the character who is named Holly Martins, the uh, main character mm -hmm. in the film, was named, wait for it, Rolo Martins. <laughs> Why Rolo? Like as in the candy Rolo? Good question. The second point, uh, no, I, 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 I think I think that speaks for itself as to why they changed it. Yes. Because it's uh, look, I have I have mad respect for Graham Greene. That's kind of a stupid name, and I'm glad they changed it. <laughs> yeah, me too. Rolo Martins. The second point that I want to make is that the novella is written from the point of view of Major Calloway, who narrates the story. In the final film, Major Calloway, although prominent, is more of a supporting character. Holly Martins constantly is saying, Callahan, and he's saying Calloway. Oh my gosh, so in the novella, he's the one telling the story? Yes, but it's like Holly Martins is, te is telling this guy the story about... Oh, so it's like they're having a conversation. It, it's it. kind of like all told in like flashback, kind of. So that's uh, it's really different, the structure. Oh yeah, totally. And that's a good thing because, I mean, if it was taught in flashbacks, I think it'd be even more maybe confusing on film. You're absolutely right. The third difference I will get to later. Okay. Keeping me in suspense, I see. Well, I mean, trying to keep the relevant points all <laughs> together, you know? Okay. This is going to be a good Andrew essay. Kind of right. tying it all together, trying to weave the mystery in there, much like the movie. There are many ideas about who should be cast as the villainous Harry Lyme. Instead of Orson Welles, one idea was to cast Hollywood leading man Cary Grant. Cary Grant? I know the name. I don't know if I know the face. Uh, North by Northwest. Okay. The main guy in North by Northwest. Hitchcock films. If you saw Cary Grant, you, you would know who he is. Okay. He was big time back then. Orson Welles was big time by then too. Right. What's interesting is that he was kind of down the dump, uh, like kind of on the on the rocks at the moment. Oh. In in as an actor, uh, as a filmmaker, because only one of his movies in his entire career made money that he directed. Are you serious? Yeah, and the movie is called The Stranger, and it's his least. It's like his least personal of his films. What of all of Orson Welles's films? Only one made money while he was uh, th that he direct that he directed that he directed only one made money. Correct. Wow, but that's like what he's known for nowadays. Yeah, you're I right. I mean, like a, a excellent actor, but mostly as a, like a great director. 
I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he's one of my favorite. He's like my top five, I think, favorite directors. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh, that blows my mind. Yeah. See, Andrew, you gotta just make movies regardless of how it turns out. And by the way, I've seen a good chunk of his movies. I took a uh, cinema class where they taught only Orson Welles films. Oh, nice. He's amazing. His films are amazing. <gasps> they were ahead of their time, maybe. Uh, like, okay, this is a total side tangent. Yes. I don't mind Orson Welles side tangents. Okay, great. Let the let the nerding out on Orson Welles begin. <laughs> like, The Other Side of the Wind, uh, after being stuck in production hell for like 40 years, something like that. Yeah. After being locked in vaults for 30, 40 years. Uh, it was finally released in 2018, I believe, by Netflix. I, I I go to the Castro Theater to see it, and it's so radical that a lot of people in the movie theater like didn't get it. <laughs> like I, I was I was one of the few who was like clapping because he's still ahead of his time in terms of film, oh, especially wow. in terms of his directing. See, what an impressive guy! It's sad that he didn't get the you know merits that he has now. You know, he didn't get to see it through. But at least we do now. Yeah. Absolutely, it's an amazing. He makes he made amazing work, and uh, we we're still reaping the benefits of it yeah. to this day. Let's get back to the third man. Yes, tell now me more about facts. The, well, let's talk about the casting of it first. Ooh, so good. Well, obviously Orson Welles, fantastic. Yeah, I mean, flawless, like strangely likable, cool villain guy. I I like believe it or not, I like the main character of uh, Holly Martin's because he said he's. In the movie, he's kind of like a blank slate. You know, you know what I mean. Like he, uh, hmm. like nothing really makes him interesting until the movie starts. Well, I mean, like the way Joseph Cotton was directed and plays uh, Holly Martin's. This is all my opinion, by the way. This, these aren't facts. Um, in my opinion, Holly Martin's is kind of like just a bumbling American writer. And that's his character, and that's kind of like there's so much going on in the film that that's perfect for for the film, and like that's the, it's perfect for the tone. Oh, I see what you mean. I mean, being a writer is intriguing, but just by itself, like you don't need a ton of, you know, story or or plot background to like add layers to that. You know, it's already kind of built in, so it was able to kind of mesh to whatever the storyline needed to be. I feel that that makes sense. Yeah. And also the other villains are great, like the other European villains, you know, like. Yeah. Yeah, they were really, they played off of him, him very well. Like it's, it, by the way, yeah, the, the characters are played so brilliantly. Like it feels like that each, the writing and the acting, it makes it feel like that they all have their own lives, you know. Yeah, definitely. Like their own personalities and their own lives. And so it, it's just a brilliant movie. Yeah. I agree. Uh, by the way, can I go on another side tangent? Yes, the, please. The The first time I saw this movie, I saw it on, on TV. Mm. And I was like 11, I think. And I was clear that they had gotten like this terrible print of the movie. Like they were playing like this bad transfer of the movie on TV. I love the Zither music in the movie, like the music of mm -hmm. the film. But the sound mix was so terrible that all you could hear was the Zither music. And so it kind of overpowered everything and ruined the movie. So for the longest time, I thought, I hate this movie. Oh, jeez. In film class, back when I went to community college, um, they were, they were going to show The Third Man in class. And I thought, oh, I hate this movie so much. I've seen it already. I think I'll go. But then I thought, I'll stay. 
Yeah. And then I was like, this is a remarkable movie. This is this is fantastic. <laughs> and this was like this was like uh, seven years later. So. Holy so, crap. So glad I stayed. See, that just goes to show how bad sound can mess up a movie. That's not done right. And also how it can make or break a movie. Yeah. You know, it could make you, like you said, hate it. Yeah. All right. Should we get back to the facts? Yes, yes. Are we ready for number three or is there more? Oh, there's a lot more. Oh, yes. Okay. One player in the history of The Third Man was David O. Selznick. Selznick was an incredibly powerful Hollywood producer. Due to the fact that he was the driving force behind, to this day, but adjusted for inflation, the highest grossing film of all time, Gone with the Wind. Oh, snap. Selznick insisted on two things. One, that in the American release, at least, the opening narration be spoken by the main character, Holly Martins, instead of an omniscient narrator. The version with the omniscient narration, voiced by the director, Carol Reed, was released in Europe. The second point that Selznick insisted on was the ending. At the end of the film, Anna Schmidt, the character who is Holly Martin's romantic interest, Mm -hmm. walks past him without stopping. Selznick argued for this ending, and Carol Reed almost got cold feet and was thinking about not going through with it. Because if you think about it, it's really bold. It's a really bold ending to have the main love interest just walk right past the protagonist. However, Selznick insisted on this bold ending, and the rest is history. Apparently, the shooting, the filming of The Third Man, it was grueling for the director, as he had many scenes to film at day and night. In order to do so, Reed had to modify his sleep schedule, often only getting two hours of sleep at a time. Oh my gosh. So, like, he would sleep, like, for two in two-hour intervals, like, one during, like, the morning, one during night. That's dedication right there. I mean, anything to make the great film. Uh, yeah, exactly. Right, Andrew? <laughs> I mean, I mean, I can only aim to make the third man someday. Yeah. Speaking of the shooting, mm. the assistant director on the production was a guy named Guy Hamilton. Okay. What a Hamilton. It's a pretty cool name. <laughs> yeah. Hamilton. My name is Alexander Hamilton. (laughs) Thank you, thank you, thank you. I didn't want to do it. (laughs) Hamilton would go on to direct probably the most well-known James Bond film, Goldfinger. Oh, nice. Yeah. Aw, so he started off as an assistant. That's right. How cool. As we mentioned, the casting of Orson Welles, impeccable. Although it has often been erroneously said that Welles contributed far more to the film than he actually had, He did invent one thing. That thing is the third point that I want to mention about what is different between the novella and the final film. Ooh, okay. The cuckoo clock speech. Wait, is this the one where they're in like the carnival ride? They just get out of the carnival ride and Harry Lime Wells is going, oh, don't look so glum, old chap or old man. You know, as the fellow says, by the way, I'm totally paraphrasing. Okay. You know what the fellow says. The Italians had war, famine, and terror. They produced Michelangelo, the Renaissance, and many masterworks. Something like that. The Swiss had 500 years of brotherly love, peace, and harmony. What did they produce? The cuckoo clock. <laughs> That's so, it's such a good point for his character. <laughs> I totally screwed up that speech, but you get the point. Just everybody listening to this podcast... 
pause it right now, go to YouTube and type in third man cuckoo clock speech. Get the real version. Yeah, don't don't blame Andrew. This was just a, a paraphrase to inspire you to listen to the real one. Yes. Because it's worth it. Orson Welles is the man. Orson Welles wrote that speech. Oh, he wrote it. That's so cool. Despite the fact that Welles is and was perfect for Lyme, Carol Reed actually doubled for Welles in one memorable moment. In the climactic sewer chase, Lyme, cornered by multiple military forces, attempts to lift up a sewer grating. In the shot where Lyme's fingers attempt to lift up the sewer grate, the finger are actually those of Carol Reed. Because he wanted the, the, the fingers to just be just right in terms of lifting up the grate. So he wanted to do it himself. Yes. Very nice. Again, director uh, dedication there, Andrew. I hope you're taking notes. <laughs> I mean, look, again, it's it's the benchmark that I aspire to, you know? Who would, the, who would your director be if you were a Guy Hamilton? Oh, Paul Thomas Anderson. Like, is, is he still he's still alive? <laughs> yes, he's he's alive. Okay, good. <laughs> he, he's like in a, he's like fifty, I think. Oh wow! So he's definitely still alive. He better be making tons of movies still. He's my favorite filmmaker ever. So, yeah. Yeah. Don't laugh at me. No. The decision to use Zither music and only Zither music in the film was a decision that came quite late in the post-production process. Apparently, the zither player in question, musician Anton Karras, listeners, correct me if I'm uh, mispronouncing that name, Anton Karras played the music for Reed in a hotel room, a performance of which the director made a recording. Although the file music feels, in my opinion, inseparable from the film, after Karras performed the score on a recording stage, Reed felt that the hotel recording was better. Oh my gosh. And he ended up liking it better than the actual like stage recorded one for the movie. Yeah. But I do have to ask, what did you think of the music? I remember it uh, vibing with the movie very well. It added like that whole mysterious side of it, like tenfold. The film isn't the same without the music. Yeah, no. You get all of the like intense vibes um, that it's going for probably like half because of the music. The The subtlety in that like intensity wouldn't be there when the third man was released it was immediately a critical and financial success in fact the film was so successful that orson welles starred in a spin-off radio adaptation called the adventures of harry lime however welles had nothing but contempt for harry lime not his performance in the film or the writing or the film itself just the evil nature of harry lime ironically the third man was so iconic in its day that the main theme was sometimes played by restaurant bands whenever Wells was in the restaurant as tribute to him. Oh, wow. Aw. But he, like, hated the character, so he was like, oh, thanks. I hate the character. That kind of thing. Well, it's good to know that he's a, he's a nice, good person. <laughs> the third man was not without its detractors. Hollywood director William Wyler criticized at least one key aspect of the film. The off-kilter shots, known as Dutch angles, you know those... Shots that are kind of off-kilter. Yeah, yeah, there's a ton of them. Yeah, he criticized those. Weiler gave Reed something called a spirit level, which is used to make sure that the camera is not off-kilter, with a note saying, Carol, next time you make a picture, just put this on top of the camera, will you? Oh my gosh. (laughs) What a jab. (laughs) Uh, A gentle ribbing. (laughs) Yeah. Closing thoughts, Ariana. I liked the camera angles. Thank you very much. I thought they went with the film well. Yes. 
Um, closing thoughts would be, uh, it's worth a watch. And if you're ever like, if you're someone like me that was not familiar with older films much and are scared to watch them because you think you're going to be bored, just watch The Third Man. It'll destroy all your worries about older films. <laughs> here, here, listeners. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for future episodes, shoot us an email at independentcreatorstudios at gmail.com. And if you are so inclined, please rate us and write a review on iTunes or SoundCloud. We'd love to hear your feedback. Behind the Flicks was created and recorded by myself and Ariana. I researched, wrote, and edited this episode. My name is Andrew Gentile. This has been an Independent Creator Studios production. Hello again, listeners. Um, as uh, as I mentioned at the uh, top of the episode, got some news about the the uh, future of the podcast. And um, well, as you know, we're uh, available on uh, iTunes, SoundCloud, but we're also going to be on YouTube. That's right. We're doing video podcasts as well as audio. What, you thought I was canceling the podcast? Haha. <laughs> We're just getting started. And also, we'll be having special guests over the next few episodes. I'm not sure exactly how many. Go on YouTube and type Independent Creator Studios in the search bar. That's right. Independent Creator Studios on the search bar of YouTube. You'll find video versions of the podcast starting at the next episode. Episode 10, coming soon. Thanks so much for listening. Hope there are no hard feelings.